Years ago, Professor Harold Urey, Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, when he was 41 years of age, wrote a pamphlet entitled, I'm a Frightened Man. He's a, he was a member of the Uranium Committee on the key operation of U-235. He said, I write to frighten you. I am a frightened man myself. All the scientists I know are frightened. Frightened for their lives and frightened for your life. And I remember when those reports came out, and by the way, they are still true, <laughs> but uh, that was in the early days of the whole atomic era. But you know, our, our country and our world lives with fear. But unfortunately, many believers also are filled with fear. A.T. Pearson made that wonderful statement, the peace of God is that eternal calm which lies far too deep in the praying, trusting soul to be reached by any external disturbances. The peace of God that passeth all understanding. Well, that's what the Lord Jesus wanted for His disciples there in the upper room. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 14, we see them deeply troubled. And the Lord had been repeatedly telling them that He was going to die and then rise again. But they were only hearing that all of their dreams were going to be dashed and that they were potentially going to suffer problems themselves and they were missing the key point of the victory that the Lord Jesus was going to win. The great I Am in the Old Testament, Jehovah God, I believe when uh, God revealed Himself there on the burning bush to Moses in, Je in Exodus chapter 3, that was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ Himself. And in the book of John, we find seven times that the Lord uses that term, I am, to describe Himself. Seven times. That's also interesting. And so clearly the Lord Jesus identifies Himself as Jehovah God, the great I am. Last week, as I mentioned, we saw that I, He said, I am the true vine. And today we're going to look at a passage which gives us a wonderful insight onto another perspective of the I Am. If you look with me at chapter 14, a beloved passage here. They, they had just had the Passover meal. He was now teaching them, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The beginning of this passage here, in the way of background to put the context of his teaching here, we see very agitated disciples. The word troubled has uh, the idea 
of uh, deep trouble, agitation. They were stirred within. And it, what he's saying here in the form of a, companion, a commandment, stop being troubled. Set your heart at ease. And the key he gives in that very first verse is believe in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. That will solve this problem of this deep agitation, trouble, fear, uh, frankly, I think terror at some times these men were facing at this point. And so the Lord is very direct with them uh, about the fact that they were to stop being troubled. And the key was faith. Many believers will know a lot of truth, but when trouble comes into their life, they begin to get agitated. They are filled with stress. Uh, they act just like those that do not know the Lord as Savior. And, and instead of looking to Him and believing that God is going to use that trouble for great good, uh, they allow themselves to get fearful and will not obey the Word of God. The story has been told of a man who was crossing the desert, desert during the day of the pioneers and he ran into trouble and was dying of thirst when he spotted a water pump right outside of an abandoned shack. But in those days you had to have a lot of water to prime the pump. That's where we get that expression. But when he got close to it, he of course didn't have any water, he noticed a jug of water and with a note attached to it. It read, there is just enough water in this jug to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. This well has never gone dry, even in the worst of times. Pour the water in the top of the pump and pump the handle quickly. After you've had your drink, refill the jug for the next man who comes along. Oftentimes, we are in a huge dilemma. Do we look out for ourselves? Do we ignore the very clear instructions of what we're to believe and to then do according to God's Word? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. Oftentimes, we are selfish. And even in our attempt to solve our problems from a selfish standpoint, we even hurt the others that are in our life. It's a very good illustration of how we as believers need to understand that the way to handle the agitations, the deep troubles of life is the word believe. And that word believe isn't just a head belief. It is a dependence upon the Word of God that demands action depending upon God to do it. It is obedience, putting your faith in what God has said, even though it goes contrary to what Maybe the world thinks or what is the natural human thinking, but if God said it, you believe it, you obey it, and that's when God intersects your life. And that's what he's talking about here in this passage. So I want to look at several things that will lay the context in, uh, to the great I am statement of verse 6. First of all, he tells them that he is preparing a residence, the preparation of a residence. Look with me at verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, from this we realize heaven is Christ's home. In spite of all the threatening circumstances, you can just see the calm assurance that Jesus had because He understood all of these matters being the eternal God. 
He never speculated about the future. He spoke as one who was familiar with eternity as one is with his hometown. (laughs) That was where he abode. He abides in eternity. He's the eternal God. And of course, uh, heaven is his home. And so he's saying he's preparing a place in his father's home for his bride. The bride is every person who has placed their faith alone in Jesus Christ. Not trusting themselves, not trusting man's religion, not trusting philosophy, good works or any of those things. But instead understanding that Jesus paid it all on the cross. And he satisfied the judgment of God. He died and then rose again in power and is able to save anyone who comes to him by faith. And those that trust the Lord become the children of God, as John 1.12 says, as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And we become also, another picture is that we are his bride. And so he's preparing a place in his father's house for us. Now you have to go back to Middle Eastern tradition of those years and frankly you still see it in the Middle East. You'll see these houses that are constantly being built on. And it's always interesting to me. Every time I'm in the Bible lands or I'm in the Middle East you see big houses because there's always one part that's being constructed it seems like. Well that is for another new family being attached to the family home. Now that's just totally different than how we think today. But this is what um, the Lord is referring to. He's going to make a place for his bride in his father's home. Now, I, I, I often say, I don't want to pop your bubble about your mansion here, okay? You get to be part of the whole complex of the father's house. Why? Because he wants you near him. And that ought to be the most thrilling thing in the world. I don't know how all that works. We have the heavenly Jerusalem and we see that described in the book of Revelation. And, uh, but the point is he's saying, I want you in my home. That's what he's saying. He's giving that perspective of the intimate relationship that he has with all of his people for eternity. And he said, this is one of the ways that you will solve this Um, matter of being troubled. So he clearly intended on them being with him. And then we see here uh, that he said "Um, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Uh, And uh, I'm preparing a place for you. Heaven is being with Christ. The beloved hymn, if you, many of you know it, Over the Sunset Mountains, that often is a hymn that encourages us about uh, heaven, uh, was penned uh, when the, uh, during a meditation time on the piano, and uh, the, John Peterson is the one that composed it, and he knew that it was, uh, uh, and he was just stirred about heaven, it would be an encouragement. And he was sure that a publisher would take it, and immediately the, the big publisher said, yeah, we'd love to use it. But we have one suggestion. Can you take out this reference to Jesus and enlarge a little more on heaven? Heaven without Jesus? <laughs> Unthinkable. Clutching his manuscript, he directly walked out of the publisher's office without, and while he was walking out, another song came to mind. 
I have no song to sing but that of my, Christ my King. <laughs> and those two songs are very popular with folks. And uh, there is no heaven without Jesus. C.H. Spurgeon said, Our Lord Jesus Christ prepares heaven for His people by going there. That's what makes heaven heaven. But he says, suppose you were, um, excuse me, so, uh, you were lifted up in a state, I want you to think about this, which was looked on as heavenly, but Jesus was not there. It would be no heaven to you. But wherever I may go, and when I do go, if Jesus is already there, I do not care where it is. To be with Christ is far better than to be anywhere else. Well, then the first thing that Jesus had to do in order to prepare heaven for His people was to go to heaven. That made it heavenly, the, uh, heaven. Now, folks, the great joy about all of that is we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience Jesus. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 says that we today, if we know Him and are walking in the Spirit, we are living in the heavenlies. We are actually in fellowship with Jesus. And I'm telling you, heaven's just going to be an expansion on the glory of what we even have now as a uh, believer. Secondly, we find a promise of a return. Uh, he makes it very clear in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Notice again that emphasis on His personal presence there uh, in uh, verse 3. I will come back. He will return to receive His bride. Now, what he's referring to here is of the rapture of the church that could happen at any time. Remember the, uh, the ascension? And there in Acts chapter 1, after he ascended up into the clouds, uh, the disciples, of course, were mesmerized by this. And the angel said, what are you, uh, Why are you looking up into heaven? He said, This same Jesus will come in like manner. And he's going to come back into the clouds to receive us to himself. Now, he's endeavoring here to comfort these very fearful men. And this should have been great comfort. And it would be in just a few weeks. After the great victory on the cross, after the Spirit of God came, after they had surrendered themselves completely to trusting him, then they realized, wow, what he said in John 14 was really a blessing. But it's a blessing for all of us. He will return for His bride. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so we are all part of the bride of Christ. I think it would be the right thing here for me to read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. This wonderful passage on what is next on the prophetic calendar. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. That's again dealing with the hopelessness, and there was a specific issue there in that church. I'm going to go on. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's the key, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, have died in Jesus, will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. So what's the first thing we're going to hear when the rapture takes place? 
We're going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ, the great I am. And uh, last time he used the term I am, as was so well stated on Thursday night, as they were in, uh, endeavoring to apprehend him when he said, I am, they all fell backwards. <laughs> and yet for us, we, because of our salvation, we will be drawn to him, not fall backwards. We'll be in full worship of him. But we will immediately be in the clouds and we hear the shout. Then we'll hear the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is not the second coming. He's, he'll come back in over seven years after this time. And so shall we ever be in heaven. Is that what it says? Shall ever be be with the Lord. That's the key. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. John 17, 24, in the high priestly prayer, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. Father, I want them to be with me and to be with you. Folks, God made us for himself. Everything about your spirit. And if once you're regenerated, you now have the capacity to be involved in why God created you. And that was full fellowship with him. And to understand the glory of all of the great creation of God. God wants us to have that deep, intimate relationship with him. That's why he died on the cross. It's a wonderful thing. There's no person left out. There's no person less important than anyone else to God. And, uh, and so we find here, he said, I don't want you to be troubled. I want you to be with me. And uh, I've prayed about that, and you will be with me. And that'll be a great moment. At any moment, Jesus Christ could come back, and it ought to make the difference in our lives. The great I am will be in the clouds, and we will see that same one who is glorious to Moses there in that burning bush, the one who is that flaming cloud over the tabernacle. And the one who has been revealed over and over in Scripture in his glory, that's the one that we will see. Scotty's pastor tells about a little six-year-old golden-haired lassie that was just a, had simple trusting faith. One morning while he was a guest in the house where she lived, uh, he said, I found her busily working in her bedroom, carefully putting things to rights for the day. And I remarked to her, Oh, how nice and neat your room looks, with everything put in order. And the reply came sweetly and simply, Yes, I'm putting it in order, for Jesus might come today. <laughs> well, that simple faith is right. Our lives, by the grace of God, should be in order because Jesus could come today. He is coming. He is coming. It could be today. Before I say the final amen in this service or whoever prays the final prayer, we could hear the shout of the Savior. And friend, let me just say, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I urge you to get that matter settled. It's simply putting your faith in Him. It would be our great joy to help you here this morning. Well, uh, so all that matters about heaven is, as I've already said, that God is there. I want to read another quote. There are a lot of questions the Bible doesn't answer about the hereafter. But I think one reason is illustrated by the story of a boy 
sitting down to a bowl of spinach when there's a chocolate cake at the end of the table. He's going to have a rough time eating that spinach when his eyes are on the cake. And if the Lord had explained everything to us about what's ours to come, I think we'd have a rough time with our spinach down here, Vance Havner said. Well, the, eye is, the, the whole point is he wants us to understand that the real joy of heaven is God. And that all the other things are wonderful. But uh, that's not what should excite us. It's beyond what we can even explain. Revelation 21.3 there in the great eternal state it says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold the tabernacle of God is with men. And he shall dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Thirdly, a proclamation of reality. Christ's proclamation here in verse 4, And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. He reminds them that all of this he had been telling them. But the problem is, they knew the destination, they knew the way to get there, but they weren't listening. They had their minds on something else. They were worried about self-promotion. Right there near the crucifixion, they were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. He had to teach them at that time. They weren't listening. And I'm afraid, Christians, we often do not listen to what the Lord Jesus, through the Spirit of God's illumination of the Scripture, is really telling us. We have everything we need to know. But we don't listen because we have our mind on the here and now and on things that are not important. They, they should have been thrilled about what was, uh, was going on or at least deeply encouraged, though sobered by it, but they weren't listening. Folks, you don't get it if you're not spiritually minded. Uh, and we see that actually in the uh, question of Thomas, Thomas's question. Uh, if you look with me at verse 5, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now he had just said, and whither I go ye know, and the way ye know, and he said, we don't know. Well, rather contradictory there, but at least, you know, you got to hand it to Thomas. He was very honest, uh, but he was also pessimistic. Uh, he was also easily despaired. Uh, for instance, when uh, Lazarus died and Jesus said let's go to Bethany. He knew the uprising that was happening by the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And so he says in John eleven sixteen, Then said Thomas which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples let us go also that we may die with him. <laughs> that was good old Thomas. Um, the trouble was he wasn't truly believing what God had said. He and the others. He just said what everybody else was was thinking. The, the carnal mind cannot digest the truth. We need to allow the Spirit of God to work. And here is the answer. All of that, this is Christ's answer, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, them, I am. I am. It's all about me. I am that I am. Those disciples knew when he used that term that he was speaking of that sacred term of Jehovah God. I am. And then he said, I am the way. What did Thomas just say? We don't know whither thou goest. 
And how can we know the way? Thomas, I am right here. I am. I'm the way. God Almighty and Jesus in particular through what he was going to do, the second person of the Trinity. I am the way. I am the truth. And therefore, I am the life. This triple expression emphasizes the tremendous um, depth, width, height of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Friends, there's no other way to God than Jesus. He is the way. It is a personal relationship with the Lord. It is not figuring it out philosophically. It is not following a religious pattern. It is going to the Word of God and understanding that Jesus Himself is the one who you, it causes that the bridge and guilt of sin to be removed through what He did on the cross and gives us the bridge to God through the saving work of Jesus Christ, having His righteousness. I've given this illustration, but I think it says it so well. A traveler engaged a guide to take him across the desert area. When the two men arrived at the edge of the desert, the traveler looking ahead saw before him trackless sands without a single footprint, path or marker of any kind. Turning to his guide, he asked in a tone of surprise, where is the road? With a reproving glance, the guide said, I'm the road. (laughs) Follow me. Jesus is the way to God. And certainly that is the case for salvation. But Christians, unless you're living in a vibrant relationship with Jesus, based upon the truth of God's Word, spending time to know Him and to follow Him, and I think that's one of the great sweet things of this week, was there were times when you just spiritually could see Jesus as God just met with us. Well, it clears everything up, folks. Just like the way was given to you for salvation by trusting in Him alone, by trusting in Him alone now for for sanctification, for victory, that is the way for a life to be lived with victory over sin and, and fullness of purpose and completing the will of God. And that's why, folks, we cannot give token uh, acknowledgement to Him in our little bit of time we might spend in devotions. We must give our lives to Him completely and spend extended time with Him. He is the way and He is the truth. On the way is truth. Uh, To know Him personally is to know the truth of the Word of God. Uh, The complete reliability of truth. What was the designation at the beginning of the book of John about Jesus? In the beginning was the Word. He is the truth. The Spirit of God wrote the Word of God uh, coming out of the very heart of God. And Jesus Christ was the very embodiment of the truth of God. He was the living Word to communicate to us all that we need to know about life and godliness as the epistles say. And so we need to understand how important the truth is. Folks, we can know the I am. We can have a relationship. He's the way for life. You know, we we talk about trusting the Lord with all thine heart and lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Who shall direct your path? He. It's personal. And then it's based upon truth. And then he is the life. 
My friends, before there was ever one star, before there was ever any part of this universe, God existed. He's existed for eternity. He is life. He is the source of life. He created the universe out of nothing. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 uh, verse 3 says, it is very clear that all life comes directly from God and when God removes his presence, there's death immediately. And uh, he is a sustainer of all life. Jesus Christ, as you read in Colossians 1, is the creator, and he's the one that holds all things together. Every ad- atomic structure is held together by the will of Jesus Christ who walked here on this earth. That is how powerful our Savior is. When he said this, it was an amazing thing. I am the way to God. I am the truth. From me comes all truth And I am the life. I'm the source of all life. I created all life. I am the sustainer of all life. There is no life outside of me. I have the full control of the life of the universe. Can you imagine when the disciples finally got a hold of all of that? A little bit later, they probably sat around with a bit of awe saying, we were with the creator, God. And yet... He loves us. It's an amazing thing. All life emanates from Him. When we Christians have eternal life when we trust Him. See, you have eternal life now. That, started, that doesn't start when you get to heaven. That starts when you get saved. You are born again. You're born into new life. You are regenerated. It's a glorious thing. Uh, but prior to that, you were spiritually dead because God was not in fellowship with you. And any person here not saved is spiritually dead but you can come alive by trusting Christ. And we need to understand that true life as a believer is in full fellowship with him. I don't care what you get to do. You may get to climb the highest mountain. You may have the highest success. You may be one of the wealthiest people in the world. You may be the most known person in the world. But my friends, it's not really living Just look at the biographies of those people. It's death. You see, for us as believers, we understand that for the lost world. But for as a believer, when we're doing all those things and not in right relationship with God down deep, we're dead. Even though we're alive to Christ, we are not living according to the spiritual life that we have. Eagles are most at home when they're soaring high above the earth. Because that's how God created them. That's what they were made for. And you can never be fulfilled when you're attached to this earth. Tony Evans said that. Very good statement. And my friends, we're all too attached. I am, Jesus said. I am. I am that I am. I am the great God of eternity. You don't need to fear. You don't need to be uncertain, Thomas. You don't need to be in the dark. I am the way. I am the truth. Everything you need to know, I have given to you. And I am life. Friends, if we could just get a hold of that, that answers every question. Everything about our life, everything that's important. And then we have the, the future. He's, he's right now making a place for us. We're his bride. He's got a place for you. It's going to be beyond what I can describe, but the big best thing about it is you're going to be with him. Fundamentally, our Lord's message was himself. He did not come merely to preach a gospel. He 
himself was the gospel. He did not come merely to give bread. He said, I am the bread. He did not come merely to shed light. He said, I am the light. He did not come merely to show the door. He said, I am the door. He did not come merely to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. He did not come merely to point the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's bow for prayer.